when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to She and Her. We know that we say every week that we're really excited to be in the studio, but this week is truly, truly special for a few reasons. First of all, this month marks our one-year anniversary of creating and producing She and Her. What? I know. And it has been... (laughs) That blows my mind, Anita. And I'm sitting here, and I'm pretty sure I'm wearing the same shirt I wore for one of our first shows. That's Totally coincidental. Yes, and it's been an absolute blast, and we have a really exciting roster of episodes lined up for the month of October to celebrate this next step in the She and Her journey, so make sure to tune in and check out all of that and be on the lookout for many other anniversary announcements. Including our brand new logo, which we rolled out today, designed by Cameron Laws, who has helped us tremendously throughout this course of this entire show. She did our theme music. She's done work on our other Um, artwork. She's been on our show as a guest, and we are eternally grateful. Cameron, thank you for your work. We are. It looks fabulous. So, okay, we're talking about all these coincidences. I'm wearing the shirt that (laughs) was in one of our earliest she and her photos on Instagram, and that makes a lot of sense because of this episode we have today. So, Anita and I kind of fall into this category or this this trope you hear about a lot of millennials and we aren't particularly religious we don't go to church we don't go to temple um we consider ourselves more spiritual than religious but one thing that we do on a weekly basis you could say religiously you could say religiously (laughs) is read horoscopes by channing nicholas and so for those of you who are not familiar with Chani, I'm sorry, invite her into your life now. Yes, do that. She is a trained <laughs> astrologer and counselor who believes that astrology can be a tool for communal healing. She writes weekly horoscopes that look at how our modern day lives intersect with the greater forces around us. And all of her horoscopes are very social justice minded. Um, she is a social justice minded worker and feminist Um and someone whose guidance and insight has been important in both of our lives and in the lives of many of our friends, I think. Um, and I remember the first time I heard about Chani was, I think, five years ago when I was living in New York and Sandra was living in Iowa. We were having some kind of epic G-chat conversation about the woes of whatever was going on. And then you sent me an email later that day and you were like, you've got to read this. 
and it was a link to Jenny. And I've been reading her almost every week since then, and that was about five years ago. Yeah, I mean, I cannot quite remember when I found Jenny. I can't remember if it was when I was in Iowa or for when I was had moved back here for grad school, but. Long story short, my most fond Channing memories are sitting in rooms with friends and reading our horoscopes out <laughs> loud to each other and digesting them and dissecting them. I mean, very recently, Anita and I had dinner with two other women friends of ours, and we sat in a circle and we read our horoscopes, and I pretty much read like three of the different horoscopes every week, so a Pisces, a Sagittarius, and a Capricorn, because very close people in my life have those signs so I always feel like I need to check in on those oh yes so uh needless to say um Channing's a big part of our life we put a notice out earlier this week that she was coming on the show tonight and had such warm reception from our audience on social media so she's a really big part of everyone else's life or a lot of other people's lives too so we are thrilled to be talking with her today Channy Nicholas, welcome to She and Her. Uh, thank you so much. I'm happy to be with you. So we would love to start um, by pulling back the curtain a little bit and learning a bit more about how you became the person that you are today. Um, can you tell us a bit about young Channy? What was she like? You know, fun wasn't really like a big priority for me as a kid, I don't think, unfortunately. Um, I grew up in a situation where it just wasn't the first thing on the list. And so I think what I learned as a child was how to survive in a lot of ways and how to take care of other people. So I grew up in a pretty, like, solid caretaking role for a lot of folks. And so I think I was, you know, I I have the kind of temperament to be the person that can be there for people when they have a hard time. And so I think that was, you know, a big piece of my childhood. Um, But for fun, I definitely was like, you know, music was a big escape for me. And I found astrology when I was 12 years old. And I met the woman that would become my step-grandmother. And she was a Reiki master. And, you know, she had a lot of knowledge about a lot of esoteric and spiritual traditions. And her husband read tarot cards on Sunday nights at our family dinners. And so at 12, which is, I say this often, but it's like an important age because it's our first Jupiter return. Jupiter is a 12-year cycle. Um, At 12, my whole kind of world really opened up in terms of esoteric traditions and ways of seeing life. And it was a really, really big help for me and started to give me some tools with which to use um, in my life in terms of how to understand myself and other people and pain and loss and and beauty and all those things. But it, it gave me a context that I had um, that was really life-saving, I would say, at that time, because it came in, you know, right before the teenage years really hit. Um, and so I had a wild ride as a teenager, but um, <laughs> but I still, I had an anchor. An anchor had dropped in terms of my own quest for learning and, and self-study and, and knowledge. Where so, did you grow up? I grew up in a small town in British Columbia called Nelson, D.C., um, in Canada. And Nelson still is to this day. It's a very beautiful town. It's like at the base of the Rocky Mountains. It's nestled in the mountains. It's in the middle of nowhere. And it was home to a lot of draft dodgers in the 60s. But in the 70s and 80s, it became like this 
escape haven um, for hippie culture. And also a lot of rednecks live there, too. <laughs> it's like a town of like half, you know, half folks that have lived there for a really long time and that were in the forestry and mining and those kind of industries. And then all of these like freshly hippieized um, young people who came with all their ideals and all of their desire to escape reality and the war. Um, and it was an interesting, still is to this day, a very interesting mix of folks. It's like a town that really prides itself on not being normal. It's like mm-hmm. a, it's an offbeat town full of offbeat characters. And and so you said 12 was a very significant age for you. I wonder at what age or what stage of life did you sort of pick up on the fact that you had a different sense of intuition than many other people? Well, I mean, because I grew up in this context that was very untraditional in terms of roles of parents and roles of children and roles in the world, it wasn't really that different or unique for me in a, in a sense, because there's a lot of people that were really into that kind of thing. And because I had this teacher, this mentor, my stepmother's mom, who was wickedly intuitive and like really a powerful healer, it wasn't really out of context for me because it had come into my context in a very big way. Um, and she had introduced me to lots of different healers and lots of different um, healing communities in a way. So I felt like I was really inundated with people that spoke this language and that really validated uh, that way of being. And so it wasn't that kind of out of context for me. Even still now, I I remember that I don't necessarily have the, the most um, quote-unquote normal job. So <laughs> I don't know if it really ever dawns on me, you know? So what, I mean, what are, are some of your early memories of sitting with your I'm going to forget the stepmom's mom. mom. <laughs> Can you sort of just set the scene for us about sort of what that relationship looked like? And Yeah, I mean, you know, I think I met her when I was 11. I remember her walking into the room and there was this voice that came up and that rose up inside me and just said, like, this is the person that's going to help you find a different way of being. Mm. And it was this very distinct moment, and I'll never forget it. And it was very true because you was a person that was focused on healing, self-awareness, and growth. And nobody in my life had that focus, and I had never met anybody that had. It was so obvious energetically to me when I met her that I was like, oh, my God, whatever this woman does, I I need to do. Whatever she (laughs) says, I will follow her word. And she just became, like, my immediate teacher. And I was so young that I had to, like, I really had to kind of, like, beg her to let me study with her. And so by 14, she finally let me um, come and do a, a workshop with her. But yeah, I just I just sat at her feet and just like drank up every word that she said because she spoke so much sense and she made everything so clear and um, really spoke to the pain and suffering that most of us carry. I just remember being in the room with her and just like I had found what it was that I was supposed to do, at least for that moment. Maybe not as a career, but it was um, just a profoundly healing relationship for me on every level. Did you 
begin to do your own kind of healing work with your peers at that point? Did you have many peer relationships? Yeah, I mean, not not many, but I definitely would work. Like, I'd do Reiki on, on anybody that would let me. <laughs> like, oh, you have a stomach, you know, you're, you're hungover. Let me give you Reiki. Um, <laughs> and so I was always, I just always had my hands on people, you know. I just have always been a little, like, therapist. Like, oh, you have a problem. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's um, uh, work on it. What I'm hearing in you describing this this work of yours is that it's part outward focused healing, but there's also the the self knowledge part. So better understanding yourself, connecting with your own sense of intuition. I imagine you cannot do the kind of work that you do without having that sense of connection with who you are, what your needs are, what your story is and I feel like as a 27, almost 28-year-old, I'm still like starting to ask myself some of the questions to get to know myself that I wish I'd asked like mm. 10 years ago or mm. more. And I wonder, mm. like, can you remember some of those ways that you were getting to know yourself when you were a teenager, like the questions you were asking, how you were getting a sense of um, what came naturally to you, that sort of thing? Um, I don't know if I can. My teenage years were a mix of like this deep healing and studying with um, Anita is her name and just going to like Reiki workshops on the weekend. And like part of my teenagehood was spent like just wanting to listen to people that were older than me. And then the other part of my teenage life was like sex, drugs and rock and roll, like all (laughs) (laughs) full out. Like I did, you know, I partied hard. And so I would vacillate between the two. I would go in for the self-knowledge and self-study and, like, the deep healing. And then because I had so much pain inside of me, there was things that I needed to, like, exercise out of my soul and Hmm. also to have fun with and stuff. But it was um, a study and also, like, uh, self-destruction. And I think because I was really good at at the self-destruction piece and also really good at the healing piece, I had this really strange divided experience. I knew what it was to not go down the road of total self-destruction, like a lot of people in my life had done and, and were doing. And then I also had to experiment with it. It's a strange mixture, but it, it, it worked for me eventually. Can you tell us a bit about your introduction to feminism? Any of your early memories of learning about or trying to grapple with it and, and how that became a bigger part of your identity and your practice? Yeah, so I always say when I was young, we didn't have the internet. Yeah. <laughs> so, so learning about feminism was really uh, a teacher to student or like a peer to peer kind of situation. Like you had to bump into it in a certain way. So I remember my little sister saying the word feminism and something in my head like went off because, of course, I had probably heard it, you know, around, but it wasn't something that folks talked about. It wasn't like no one said intersectionality and nobody. Mm-hmm talked about these terms that are so um, in the lexicon now. And so it just it was another one of those things where I was like, I need that. What is that? I need to know about it. And so I went to this program in Toronto, Canada, called Assaulted Women's and Children's Counselor Advocate. But basically, it was like Feminism 101. Um, was this in so high school, was, or, or how old were you? It was college. Okay. So in Canada, college is like associate's degrees. It's like a two-year program. So in my bio, I call that feminist counseling, because basically that's what it was. They just taught us about intersectionality, and they taught us about race, class, gender, sexual orientation. I mean, all of the things we just sat around for two years in a circle with all-female teachers and all-female students. Um, 
like, you know, hashed it out and talked it out. Did you have an early sense of how that intersected with the other kind of knowledge that you'd been building since you were 12? Not uh, consciously, but perhaps intuitively. I never thought anybody who wanted to read about astrology would give me even two seconds to talk about my politics. Hmm. Um, And so I started writing because I had to. It was something I did just to stay on the planet. In a sense, like it was like a compulsion that I had to do. Um, I had to write. And I had to write about astrology, and I had to write uh, through the lens that I see the world from. And I thought, you know, screw it. No one's ever going to read this. I'll just put it up on the Internet and just just to put it out, just to, like, cleanse myself of the thoughts that I was, you know, that were persistently harassing me and telling me to write them down. And how long so, ago was that? So when did you start putting those up on the Internet? I guess like, it was, like, six years, six, seven years ago, probably. Okay. Maybe six. Yeah, something like that. How did that growth happen? Like, what was that like for you to be, you know, you started just, it was purely cathartic and personal for you. You were doing it for yourself, but it has really taken on a life of its own. It really has. I always say the work has a way better social life than I do. Like, (laughs) I personally am not, you know, a big uh, socialite, but the work tends to be, I don't know how it happened. I have no idea. I don't know why it happened. I don't know. I just, it just happened. And it was kind of like overnight. Um, my work always got, you know, a good response, but I just thought it was my friends being nice to me. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. I think that the queer community was really, really, really behind me and really held me up and really were very true, you know, like it's very loyal in a sense. And um, I think as a base, like feminists and queers and like folks that feel like they want to talk about things like that, grabbed onto the work and, um, and spread it around. And because of social media, again, you know, like my career would not exist 10 years ago. It couldn't, um, every week I'm like, Oh, okay. This is the week that everyone's gonna be like, Oh, this is horrible. Why <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. We've been reading her. <laughs> so I, I would love for you to kind of contextualize astrology as a practice, like a historical practice for us. Okay. <laughs> Just a small undertaking. So 2,000 years ago. Okay. <laughs> um, so contextually, there are many astrologies, right? There is not just one astrology. 
there are so many cultures on the planet, and we each look up at the same sky. Um, we each have a different sky through which we view it. And so some cultures historically have had more access to more sky than others. Um, Egyptian culture has had access to very big chunks of sky with very little bad weather. The parts of the planet that have winter and rain and fog, they don't have the same kind of vision or ability access to the heavens that places like Egypt did. And Egypt also was a very stable um, stable society that had many uh, leaders and, stu- and such, but they were able to like maintain themselves for a long period of time. So they were real sky watchers and they tracked things. And they made up um, these beautifully intricate systems of understandings. Also, in Mesopotamia and what we know as Babylon, which is now like modern-day Iraq, Iran, mm-hmm. kind of that part of the world, uh, they were also, they had a big chunk of sky. They could really kind of observe things, and they did. They observed things, and they tracked things, and they recorded things for a very, very long time. Um, eventually, these systems kind of merge, and then the... Um, the Hellenistic era kind of takes over where Alexander the Great comes through and he conquers certain parts of um, Egypt. And um, and at the same time, all of these trade, these trade routes are opening up between India and China and um, what we would call the Near East. So, so all of these different societies are all watching sky and they all have their own astrologies and they're starting to mix and mingle and trade information. Um, and once the the Hellenistic era starts to happen, certain things get solidified, and they um, all of a sudden it goes from watching the sky to um, to see like oh when Mars is rising, then mm-hmm. you know, or when an eclipse happens, and the king's probably going to be taken over by another. They would make these like real big blanket statements, but it wasn't used for personal use. It was just like for kingdoms and for wars and for um, ways of seeing the rhythms of things. We could say, like, there started to be, like, certain stars or certain signs of a good birth, right? Things start to become solidified and codified, and um, and astrology start to be born. And then Christianity is like, no, the astrology is horrible, and it has to go underground, and it comes back up again, and the, um, uh, the Arabic cultures are able to, to hold the astrologies for a long time and develop it and perfect certain things, and, and then that goes underground, and then things come up and down all the time. The astrologers are always grabbing their uh, books and running off into the caves. <laughs> and so there's a lot of the shuffling about, and then it so astrology in the East, meaning India, never breaks its tradition. It didn't have to go underground, so it maintained itself. So it has a very strong tradition and a very, um, a very deep, deeply rooted tradition, although it was happening at the same time as Western astrology was. Then Western astrology kind of broke off completely. A lot of the old texts were, like, stored away and hidden in libraries and forgotten about. And then, you know, through oral traditions and some texts surviving, um, it moves into like the spiritualist movement in the 1800s, comes over to America, starts to solidify itself here, and then it it starts to change from its um, original form um, with Jung and with Freud, with Freud and then with Jung, especially with Jung's like um, theories around archetypes and the soul and the psyche. Um, the new agers kind of start to lay it on the astrology chart and they shift things around and it starts to move and morph a little bit from what it, well, quite a bit from what it was. And we lose a lot of the older traditions because it's less than the old text. 
And so thus then the hippies come along and then they proliferate this like archetypal thing about your psyche and your chart is you. And, and then what happens in the 80s and 90s is a group of astrologers learn some old ancient transited texts and they start to, they start to uncover this old, old material and we start to uncover this amazingly intricate past. And so the past, like I'd say 20 years, has been uncovering this older lineage and seeing what we want, seeing what certain astrologers want to do with it. Um, there's this whole re-engaging with old lineages from Arabic sources, from, from Hebrew, from Jewish sources, from um, Greek sources, from all of these beautiful traditions um, that we're all a part of weaving together um, the basis of what we would call Western tra- traditional astrology. That's such a beautifully told history. When you're sitting planning to write every week, are you actively studying charts? Are you going back and looking over materials? What does that look like? Yeah, uh, you know, I do monthly new moon courses where I go through the astrology of the lunar cycle. And so I'm looking at the months ahead and I'm looking at like chunks of astrology. And I've got some bigger swaths of time too. And then I'll look for the weeklies. I'll look at like, okay, well, what's going on? What part of that bigger picture is being unpacked this week? And what could I tell folks to help maybe potentiate that energy and use it wisely so that in the long run, in the long haul, in the bigger picture, it can be productive. This is a very esoteric, like, you know, archetypal, bloody blah thing, <laughs> but like, great, okay, pretty and nice and big. But it's like, how do I break it down and make it useful and put it into people's lives so that it means something in the moment? Because mm-hmm. otherwise it's not, it's, I don't care about it. So I feel like you've kind of touched on this, but I just want to return to your description of the historic significance of astrology we had two listeners write in to us before the show one is greek the other is palestinian and they Mm -hmm. basically said so many horoscopes are so individual driven but what you Mm -hmm. do is so collective driven like the framing of it the language of it there's a social justice piece to it and that felt more familiar to the way their cultures have historically looked at the stars and made sense of the stars. Oh, that's beautiful. And, and I feel like, too, I mean, when you have talked about the, the counseling training that you've done in the schooling and feminist theory, this interest in bringing social justice into conversation, you can tell that that is a part of how you approach your writing every week. Do you think about this as social justice work then, sort of jumping off of that? That's my biggest wish, you know, like when people are activists and they're like, you know, we read your horoscopes. You know, someone just told me they work at a rape crisis center and they read the horoscopes. And like this, this thought that the horoscopes could support people that are doing the really important work in the world in a social justice context is probably the most, you know, meaningful thing I could do with it. There is no me without the we. There is no me in isolation. I live inside of a context that I share with other people. And so if the work that I do, whatever that is, doesn't link the the individual with the collective, then again, it feels feels like a waste of time to me. (laughs) And so I want to have a delicate balance of giving people the time and space to reflect on their personal lives and then also 
kind of zoom out and say, and also we're in this collective soup together and how are we looking at the, at the world and our place in it? So one thing, as we've been preparing for this episode, we've been talking to friends about how this past year for both Sandra and I individually and a lot of our friends and the wider community, we feel like has been especially tumultuous, tons of change, tons of stuff stirring up. And so the short version of the question is, WTF is happening in the stars right now. (laughs) Please. We need help. Please advise. For real, though, when I looked at the astrology for 2016, I was like, WTF. And I kept saying, like, this year is like Twilight Zone material. Like, this is like some strange soup that we're about to go into. (laughs) And it lasts from January to September. So now we're moving into a new framework. Hmm. Praise the heavens. (laughs) Yeah, right. Let's hope. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't want to make too many predictions about what the new framework is. But what happened is Neptune, the planet of disillusionment and and <laughs> deceiving and deception and lies and being tricked. And it's also a planet of like spirituality and connection and oneness and yada, yada, yada. But if we don't get the first part of it, we don't get the latter. So it is trying to dissolve everything and it's the great ocean. Mm-hmm. And it was swearing, making a friction kind of aspect, causing trouble with Saturn. Saturn is a planet of government and structure and tradition and form. And Saturn has been in Sagittarius, which is about law and religion and cultures. And so these two coming together in a square was like everything that we've known is going to be dissolved. Like mm. political parties, for example, wow. will be liquefied. This it's is like so a liquid, real. It's like a, a, li- <laughs> a liquidation. And so when Brexit happened and then like watching, you know, what's his name, uh, do his thing in oh, the presidential yeah. campaign he has been like be this. <laughs> this is bananas. Like, this is the strangest thing. Like, is everybody on drugs? What is yes. That? And so, and so the, and that's a very Neptunian kind of thing. It's an intoxication, but he has just <laughs> completely eroded, which is what Neptune does, the whole structure. And then also, of course, the Syrian crisis, the refugee crisis, whole rhetoric around borders, who's going to open borders and who will not open their borders. And of course, the whole building the wall thing in America. So that's all Saturn. Saturn is walls and structures. And then the Neptune's trying to open that all up. And mm. so we see the negative aspects of both of those. So there's a sense of hysteria, there's a sense of panic. And then what happened also for the first nine months of the year is that Mars was in and out of its retrograde and in its retrograde shadow. And so Mars is the the desire, the impulse, the action, but it's also our rage and our anger. What happened this year, especially over the summer, with the the police, you know, murders of, of innocent black men mostly, um, was extraordinarily painful um, and unrelenting. It felt like there was just this unrelenting violence that was occurring at the same time as all of the supporters of you know, Trump and all of their xenophobic, racist, uh, sexist, misogynistic rhetoric just, like, spewing out. And so we got to see this, like, what lays at the base of our culture, um, who's respected, who's not, because all of that structure got resolved and, you know, we got to see everything. And so we're still, in the, we're still seeing how that, what the effect of that was. 
Well, we're, I mean, honestly, we have people texting me right now, sending questions, and we're so <laughs> short of time, and I hate that. I know, so you're going to have to come on again, but uh, <laughs> we, we'd love to just close by asking you what you do for self-care. Self-care has a lot to do with nature for me at this point. Looking at green things, feeling sunlight and wind and the dirt under my feet. And then I don't have fun the way I used to in, in a certain sense. Like I don't like going out to big parties and all that kind of stuff. But if you do, that's great. You know, it's like whatever you need to balance yourself out. But for me, it's like I got to see good friends and have like great food with them and laugh and connect on a on a deep level with people that I love. Um, and so it's really just about making more time for good connecting, trying to get to some sort of physical practice, <laughs> yoga or um, some sort of exercise because I spend so much time on the computer. Um, and just getting, you know, getting to the naturopath and getting to the acupuncturist, and getting to the stuff that keeps my body being able to do its thing. So nothing, nothing groundbreaking, just, just being able to maintain and like, take care of myself in the way I need to take care of myself is, uh, it's a big job. <laughs> well, keep doing it. Cause we need you. We have a lot of your plate. <laughs> no, no pressure. <laughs> um, it has been such an honor. We were so grateful, um, to have been able to talk with you. You're definitely one of our, uh, you're one of our feminist heroes you and are. we really look up to the work that you do. Um, so thank you so well, much for well, your time and for yeah. your work. Well, that is our show tonight. And if you guys want to hear more She and Her, follow us at She and Her Radio on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And we roll out a podcast every two weeks. This episode will be rolling out in two Thursdays from now, two Fridays from now. Yes. Um, and Channy, do you want to tell people how they can find you if yes. they don't already know? Yeah, you can just go to Channy Nicholas, C H A N I N I C H O L A S dot com. Um, and everything's there. Yes. Yeah. And we'll share so links much. to that. Thank you so much. Thank right. you. Have a good evening. Have a good Bye. night. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.